0: Emil, aside from having to speak to me, how is your day going so far?
1: It's going good. It's cool
0: to talk to people about this movie. Right. When did you actually finish this film? Because we, the general public, first learned about it, I'd say February, is when the trades kind of leaked that it was coming out. Well, um,
1: I guess we shot it in December of
0: 2020. Wow. So this... uh, played into the idea that filming should have been smaller casts and less people in the room together. That kind of worked out well.
1: Yeah, it was a very uh, COVID-friendly production, although I guess we got a little too friendly because a bunch of people on the crew got it as we were shooting.
0: Inevitable, but uh, the premise of the film, I guess it's a sci-fi thriller of sorts, is really intense. It's one of those things where you say to the average person, they'd start to think, oh, what would I do in this situation? For you, did you go method at all to do this kind of a premise or did the script give you all the work? You know, fortunately for me, the script
1: um, really gave me everything I needed and I didn't have time to do any kind of uh, methody kind of stuff because I was shooting another film called State of Consciousness in Guatemala at the time. Um, And I rapped on a Friday and I was shooting State of Consciousness on Monday morning in L.A. So I literally got back to Los Angeles and before I knew it was just wearing new clothes, playing a totally different character. and was like, whoa, what's going on? And it was just learning the material as quickly as I could. And I think that this performance, maybe more so than almost any I've done, is just me kind of just... Leaning on my instincts to a, a ridiculous degree, and you know, in a way, kind of turning my brain off, just riding my instincts.
0: That actually leads to two or three things that I wanted to ask about. Now, your musical endeavors are under the name Mnemonic, and memorization of scripts is not something I can do, not something most people can do. And as you just mentioned, you were kind of making two films at the same time memorization of the script does that come to you very easy is the band name not just clever that's actually a big part of what you do well um you know yeah i for some
1: reason i don't know like learning material has never it's never really been a thing for me um especially when the lines are good you can learn you can learn very fast and m- people have an idea about learning dialogue in general that is um, not really accurate. Uh, When you really like just jump into the deep end of learning a lot of lines and a lot of material, Mm -hmm. um, I think most people might even be surprised at how um, they they might even be able to do it better than they might think. Hmm. Obviously not as good as someone like me, this guy but no maybe they could you never know you know yeah. got it um, i think a lot of people a lot of people think it's harder than it is cuz cuz i always tell people i'm like you ever go to an elementary school play of like hamlet they those kids know their lines and they're like 8 years old so how
0: hard could it really be fair and then you have the people like me who don't like to do anything twice so you know when people think about being a stand-up comic, I think it's got to be a fearful thing that you have to do that same joke every time like it's the first time you did it. Oh, yeah. In your case, can you stomach doing take after take or are you just so good it's one take, next, print it twice? Mm,
1: If I have the time, a lot of the times I'll like to do a bunch of takes. If I have the time, very rarely do I have, do we have the time, you know? But if, if I have like unlimited time, I'll sit and I'll
0: do 12 takes, you know what I mean? Fincher style. Got it. (laughs) Um, so immaculate room, very emotionally involved role, but are you at this point where your life is not turned upside down when you have an emotional role like this, that they say cut and like 60, 90 seconds later, you can breathe and crack a joke.
1: Yeah, I think I think unfortunately I've hit that stage in my life where I'm no longer like the actor that's like sleeping in a coffin at lunch if he's playing a vampire. You know what I mean? Fair. Um, the catch twenty two, of course, though, is that when you get to that point, you're inevitably a better actor than before. That's the irony.
0: Well said. Well, the film that you made in Guatemala, not the only film that you've made in the last two, three years. You know, when you look at your IMDb page, it's like six things coming out. And we don't know if those things are true. But are you allowed to say what's next after The Immaculate Room?
1: Yeah, I've shot a bunch of movies recently. Um, Oh, so many projects that I'm so excited about. Um, This film... um, Called Devil's Workshop that I worked on is coming out at the end of September. As is this other film I did with Thomas Jane called Dig, which is a really cool thriller. Um, those are just the next two. And also State of Consciousness and this movie I'm very excited about called The Gemini Lounge and the Stenographer and The Engineer. There's all these different movies. And I've just made a bunch of films in the last few years, and some of them Should have came out by now, so they got a little delayed. So it seems like there's more movies, maybe even normal or something.
0: That or you're in demand all these years later. One or the other. Now, does Dig have the exclamation point in it like the Dandy Warhols documentary, Dig?
1: No, no, it doesn't. That was a good documentary, too. No, this is is a crazy, crazy little thriller. I play a really evil redneck, but funny, very darkly
0: funny funny but evil Mm. yeah sometimes they go together (laughs) well i i think that you have shown your versatility where you could do comedy you could do drama you can do horror this movie says hey the man can do thriller but i got a music question or two for you do we have more music in the pipeline or is that on hold because you're doing so many damn movies
1: Well, we have, you know, we put a couple of albums out under Hirsch, our album, the first album name was Mnemonic and it's me and this other guy who's this French dude named the Frenchman, AKA Mathieu Caratier and, um, you know, we make these songs basically at his computer in his living room. It's really an unglamorous process. And he has like a little microphone and we put a sheet over it and I sing these stuff. And then he melodines and auto tunes the vocals like beyond, but you could imagine it's like disgusting. Um, and yeah, we've put out a couple of albums and, you know, we got pretty good, like people responded to a lot of the music, yeah. but I mean, it's like stuff we put out on the internet, you know, it's like, um, People are like, oh, were you weird? Did you feel weird about putting out music because of your acting career and like how that could affect your acting career? And I was like, if enough people hear this music to where it actually affects my acting career, I'm going to like be through the moon because right. promoting promoting music is the hardest thing imaginable. You could literally scream. You could go to like Times Square and scream at the top of your lungs and no one would notice if, it, if, if it's music related. It's like the hardest industry to get any traction
0: in. That's For why I'm like, yeah, put it out. It doesn't matter. No, no one will hear it. Well, you're underselling the putting it out on the internet because what is putting out music on Spotify? That's putting it on the internet. You just go through TuneCore or WizKit or one of those and it's on the internet. So I'm yeah. putting yourself short there. No, no. I mean, but
1: even then, like you, you put it on the internet. I mean, maybe you get total 10,000 people a month around the world listening. I mean, that's a very, very,
0: very small audience. In terms of music, but if you were a dentist and you had 10,000 patients, you'd be doing pretty damn well. So yeah, I'd be a billionaire. (laughs) So uh, down to the last uh, question here. And in the spirit of the Immaculate Room, when I was a kid, you'd get those tower records catalogs and they go, your desert Island discs, uh, this premise of this movie, you're kind of stuck in this room for 30 days or so. Do you if- have those two or three albums where you go, that is what I'd bring to the room and and only listen to.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe. Um... Gosh, it's, it's so, it's such a hard thing to say because you realize as soon as you say it, you would, like grow to hate it you know what i mean so i'm like oh i bring a smashing pumpkins like melancholy and the infinite Sadness, and then i'm like but then i would no longer like that album because (laughs) you would grow to hate it because you would listen to it like so much
0: Then again it's a double album so technically you cheated in a good way
1: yeah you're like weaseling your way into like six albums um gosh that's tricky uh Maybe Smashing Pumpkins or, I don't know. It's hard because it's like any album. It's like, I can't listen to it that much.
0: Van Halen won? Oh, man. No. Well, (laughs) the next time I interview you, I'll come back for those other discs. But in the meantime, congratulations on this movie happening and looking forward to everything that's come from you, even if you're an evil redneck. Thank you so much. And what is this room you're in? It looks really cool. Oh, yeah. The living room, the dining room in this beach town. Uh, They used to send out the eight and a half by 11 uh, headshots. So you always got them. And there's Gallagher and Dice Clay and David Lee Roth and Wayne Newton. But I I guess we need a headshot from you to put next to Ted Nugent on the wall.
1: Oh, yeah. Rad.
0: (laughs) Well, seriously, thank you for your time. Thanks for making this happen, Adriana. Thank you. Thank you. Thank it's you. A- Thank you, Darren. Outrocast. Aside from having to talk to me, how is your day going so far, Rip?
2: Um, it's, I've been challenging, but other than that, it's good. It's, it's rained earlier, but it stopped. It's, it's not bad.
0: Are you dialing in from somewhere else in New York? I know you're a Chicago guy that moved to New York.
2: I actually am in Queens, New York, as we speak. Not too far. From the nightclub, me and my wife own on call. Stars and Baldwin. I'm always going to plug that.
0: Uh, I heard that there's also a Baldwin restaurant that you own, or is that the confusion that it's a Queens nightclub?
2: No, it's actually a lounge that I, uh, me and my wife own. It's called Stars. It's in Baldwin. It's a lounge. Um, it's a great place. It's more of a performance and event space that we open up to allow different activities, and the food is amazing.
0: And it's not that far from the UBS Arena, which you'll be headlining in a couple of weeks.
2: Yes, sir. Right? <laughs> Elmont, Good old Elmont. They don't want to call it Elmont; They want to call it Belmont Park, though. So.
0: They want to call it Long Island, which is super weird because it's not on Long Island and they're expecting all of Long Island to go to it. But congratulations on getting a second show happening on it because the inaugural event was last year. Mayor Adams gave you kind of like a key to the city or he said, hey, it's your day. They celebrated you big time. Did you know that this was going to be an annual event when you booked it last year?
2: Um, I did not. I just wanted um, the fans. Um, to really have something because it, when during COVID I, I was probably one of the first comedians to ever go out. Actually, I am call myself a first responder, a first joker, is what I would say. Uh, <laughs> <That works. laughs> when the pandemic happened, to, to actually go do co- uh, shows around the country, and then it kept getting put off. And I was even telling the Barclays, Center listen, we have to put this on." He was like, "We can't give you a date. We're not sure." And I was like. I have to do this for the people because they have really been locked up inside, only watching Zoom comedy, and it was just a great thing. And we've been able to keep it going. I mean, it's just successful as the April Fools Comedy Jam, which I've been doing for over twelve years, um, and just as successful as the Wild Now tour that I started in right in Queens, New York, Funny Get You. It's I'm I'm actually right down the street from where it started at NYC Arena. Um, and then the new projects that we got going with uh, me and my wife got Black and Brown Entertainment. We call it Babe. So we're doing a lot of Black and Brown shows, Indian shows. She's over there cooking curry in the background going somewhere like, I am not wanting to be in the camera. So
0: <laughs> I hear you on all those ends. I give you- There she is
2: over there. Come over and say hello. <laughs> she's taking her hand. She's like, no, no.
0: Well, I- I'm going to give you a compliment if you're allowed to take a compliment right here. Are you okay? Oh, thank you. Of okay. course. Okay. When I was a kid, Uh, Despite how it looks, we're not that far off in age. But when I was a kid, there was only like three comics ever who could do an arena tour. And those are basically Steve Martin, Andrew Dice Clay, Eddie Murphy. Some people say that Richard Pryor did arenas. That's kind of debatable. He did the biggest theaters ever, but he wasn't an arena comic. Nowadays, you're doing an arena comedy tour, which you are putting on, or at least there's this date and we know it's a series and there's other stuff too. When you have to prepare material that kills in an arena, that has to be really tough. Are you doing a lot of workshopping before a big show like this? A lot of club and warm-up shows.
2: Um, I've always loved arenas, and I'm out every night doing comedy. And just having a family as it is, um, is just comedy within itself. Like uh, having a huge melty pot. Um, that material comes from that. And then, like my mama being a Popeyes lady, and my daughter's being super, super grown fast, and And it's just been a (laughs) a phenomenon. So uh, that's just been what my whole life has been about. And then it's been easy, but I do constantly go out and I constantly work on new material. So yeah, and arenas have always been my dream to do. So, you know, big shout out to like actually inspiring me, believe it or not, watching Dan Cook do one was like the biggest thing. And when he did that Vicious Serpent, I was like, I want to do this. And I've been doing actually arenas, I want to say... Oh my God, it's gotta be 12, 13 years. I think the first one I ever did was when I did one and uh, I was in Connecticut at the Mohican Sun Arena. That was the first time I ever did one. And it's just been, you know, sharing that experience and, and taking my friends with me and my comedy colleagues and putting them on these same platforms to be like, look what we are doing, we in yeah. 17,000 seats in, it's just amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it, and people love it, and I offer them so much entertainment, and I keep it low, so I want everyone to enjoy it. I mean, I, I keep my tickets at $30 just so not one person can be denied, because a lot of these shows be three, 400 You see Chris Brown charging $2,000 for a meet and greet Beyonce. I just keep everything affordable, fun, fun paced, and I keep adding all my music friends and all my comedy friends, and and I just keep this huge thing going.
0: Before I ask you about the music end of it, you mentioned Dane Cook, and- everybody who follows comedy knows that Dane was really successful headlining the arenas, but they didn't realize he was also renting out the arenas and promoting them. So on the business end, he was successful as both the performer and the producer, which is what you do. Did you know that about Dane? Did you find inspiration in that? Or who was the first person that you realized was the performer and the producer?
2: Dane and Russell Peters. They were the performer and the producer. And I was like, this is amazing. And me being a performer and producer came from, you know, not being from New York and being and sleeping on the streets with my daughter and being homeless for a year and not uh, having opportunities to be on stage. And then you'd start this thing where they call it the Barker shows. And you bark for so much time, you give out flyers and then you finally get stage time. And I just turned that whole mentality into like, you know what? I'm not going to let people lock me out of these clubs because they don't pass. I'm going to circumvent all this and do my own arenas and do my own shows. And I had so many rooms across the country and I just transferred it from theaters to arenas to now we're about to take it even further.
0: So it sounds like what was originally the problem, which is people saying no to you and making you give out the flyers and all that turned out to teach you the lesson that made you super successful. In other words, all that struggle provided the exact opposite for you to be in this position now.
2: Oh, my God. And I, to me, that's how God works. I mean, you, there's always a light and opportunity and something that people seem damn no abysmal. And I, I think that that did. I was like a light bulb in my head, like, oh, well, if I could do this to somebody else, I could, I could do it for myself. And if I could do this for myself, then I got so successful that I'm going to do this and bring some of my friends along. And it's just been a, a huge snowball effect ever since. And then um just enjoying it and keep going at it and keep recreating different things.
0: And so the lineup of this upcoming show at UBS is incredible because if you just want comedy, there's Got Brandon T. Jackson, Pretty V. If you like music, Nao, Trey Songz, August. You know, some of the biggest singers on radio from the past 20 years and then amazing comics. Is the hardest part putting together the lineup of this whole thing?
2: No, I would say the hardest part um, is who's going to close. I think. <laughs> Everybody wants to close and like this person, I do it as much time, but uh, it's just, it's actually not um hard at all because all these people want to go on stage and we want to provide good stuff. So we all just be all trying to outdo each other. Oh, I'm gonna do this. and My performance is gonna be better in Chicago. So it's just, that was, it's just fun. And the energy is great, and it's nonstop—two and two-hour, two and a half hours of nonstop. You're never gonna get out of your seat for nothing. It's no intermission, no dull moment. From the moment I touch the stage, it's me, and uh, like Jacquees opens it up, and it just—it just continues this nonstop effect of just pure entertainment.
0: I'll tell you, my favorite part about this isn't the ticket price, isn't the lineup. It's the fact that there's no check drop. Uh, When you go to (laughs) the part where the waiter or the waitress puts that check on the table and sucks all the energy out of the room, and you're looking at your friends going, well, I didn't have cash, and then you're waiting for the check. None of that at one of your shows
2: not at all none of that and that is that's the actual part of being a comedian that's when you know you're really funny when you get that check spot they throw you in there you got to keep people's attention when they're calculating up and it's like i got five dollars you got cash up i got sale you got paypal let me Venmo you this and then no one has the tips and people like well i know exactly what i ordered because you got that one person like look all i had was a chicken wing i didn't put in on the dessert so it even gets worse when it's somebody's birthday because then the birthday person end up chipping in too because somebody's cheap so it's just so funny
0: Awful. Well, we talked about Long Island at the top here, and technically UBS Arena is a Long Island venue. Here in my (laughs) town, you have to give those quotes. It's not Long Island. You have to go by the railroad or you have to drive into Queens. (laughs) But uh, we have in this town a a venue that's kind of like a warm-up workout room called the Beach House in Long Beach. And some really famous people play here. And then there's governors, there's the brokerage. Have you been part of the Long Island comedy scene?
2: Oh my God, that's what inspired me to open Stars, Stars and Baldwin. I used to do Governors. I used to do all the different on the Magnificent Mile. I used to go to Port Jefferson. I used to do every little local bar you possibly could when it came to comedy. And then I used to do and host a spot at the Green Acres Mall called BBQ that used to be comedy. And then I used to host a club called Nakasaki's that was in Long Island, Nassau County that I used to do. And then all these things and this club that I owned used to be called Love Jones. And I used to do comedy there every week. And then when the owner died, um, his wife was losing the club and i bought it because i wanted to keep that legacy of entertainment going so it's got a stage we do comedy shows that i brought nick there and I brought kevin and i brought so many different people there because we have a huge performance space in the back where we can sit about 300 people i do comedy shows here and there and the food is amazing so that's what the inspiration came from to keep it on long island because people don't understand how many funny people are in long island and what they got going on So i just think that having a platform especially for uh urban comics as well that they're they're still there. And to this day, when comedians call me and say they wanna work out, I'd be like, here, go take the entire door, go do your thing.
0: Wow, okay, so you also addressed something that I was gonna say. It's kind of under the radar about how many celebrities live on Long Island. I'm not talking about the Hamptons, I'm talking about in these towns like Baldwin and Rockville Center and Long Beach, et cetera. When you first moved around here, did you know all that, that it was kind of like an on the down low thing where famous people
2: were living next door to you? I had no idea about Long Island. I didn't think Long Island, to be totally honest, and I hope I can say it. I didn't even know they had Black people. I was like, OK, that's just for white people in and, and white clothes, and that's where you go <laughs> sit on the beach. I didn't even know they had an Amityville or, I didn't know Amityville because of the movie, but I didn't know they had a Hempstead and a wine dance and a straight pad. I didn't know that it was all this diversity and, and so many West Indians. And I was like, wait a minute, how did y'all put Brooklyn in Long Island? <laughs> so no, I did it. And then all the celebrities that look like there, Busta the Deshanti, So many different people that come from. It's just insanely impressive how many people actually are on Long Island.
0: Yet the weird part is the only person or the only kinds of people not promoting Long Island and all this came from Long Island are the people in Long Island. I find that there's no, there, there should be somebody going, you know, Rip Michaels is legitimately headlining arenas there should be the Nassau County Rip Michaels day. There should be a little more respect for the people who are actually doing this. Whereas if we lived in Rockford, Illinois, you know, Cheap Trick gets thrown a parade all the time oh. because they're from there, Fred Van Vliet or something like that. I don't find that there's that enthusiasm for this place like other places, or am I totally wrong
2: and hanging out in the wrong places? I think you're absolutely right. And I think you come from a genuine space and you know yourself because actually if you look at the track record while and out the tour, I started in Queens and the very second city we did was Long Island and Patchogue. So I took the whole Long Island crew and I put it in Patchogue. I cannot remember the name of the place because it's not there now. Now it's called like Sound Garden or something like that. But before- yeah,
0: Stereo Garden. Uh,
2: Stereo Garden. It's it called Stereo like Garden. It's
0: five names. It's got a, yes. it looks like the movie um, uh, Bloodsport with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And- yes,
2: yes. If you go there, we sold it out and I got in, uh, cause I did it in like two weeks. So when I did it, it was so funny because when I, when I put it together, it was like, no, it's not going to sell way out here. So I brought everybody out there and it ended up the place only holds like 3000. I think I ended up having like 8,000 people show up. So the town came, the mayor came in, people lined up all the way around cause there's no ticketing system like Ticketmaster to, to, you know, to stop people from just walking up. And it was just a phenomenon and we ended up having to do two shows that night.
0: Wow. Okay. Well down to the last three questions here before I let you roam free. First thing is, I'm hearing all these towns, all this activity, and you really seem like a person who knows what's going on. Is there a big Rip Michaels organization or do you personally just have your ear to the street on everything?
2: Um, What I do is I try to provide what I feel with my ear to the street. I I feel like your fans will always tell you what they want to see if you listen uh, enough. And that's exactly what I've been able to do. And then, you know, being married now and moving on to a different chapter in my life, now we're doing Indian entertainment. I'm about to come back and bring Sheryl Kahn and Rosa Peters to Long Island. So it's just all these different uh, different um, uh, platforms that I'm going to start getting into. Uh, this huge entertainment vessel that we're creating right now. So it's going to even get bigger and bigger because we got the fallback. Then we're coming back with the Off the Rip tour, which is going out. Then we got the April Fool's coming back out. Then I got the Wild Out tour going back on. And then we're doing these summer arenas. And I just, I just brought Wild Out to Jones Beach. We just did that way to the Jones Beach Amphitheater. Um, in the middle of a rainstorm where the shore is busting out you're telling jokes against the wave. It's just...
0: <laughs> yeah, Jones Beach is, is a weird one and it's probably only had like five comedy shows ever and you're one of them. Yes, I am. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, next thing I got for you because you, you named all of what's coming up. So that scratched one of the questions. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. No, no. Thank you for being a good interview subject. Uh, the next thing I got for you do any photos of you and Brett Michaels
2: exist? That is so funny. That is like, you, you have a, you must be a comedian because that is hilarious. I get that all the time. People call me Brett Michaels or Rip Hamilton. I always <laughs> none that exists, but that is funny. Everybody always says that. Brent Michaels. And I'm like, no, no, that's not, it's Rip. But that is that is super hilarious. That is so funny. And it's funny because I actually have a TV show that is on Peacock NBC right now called Urban and Retreat. And I actually, that's funny, somehow it keeps coming back to Long Island because I brought Urban Eats and Treat for my TV show and I filmed it in Long Island. And I had Nick Cannon as my guest. Um, and the show is great because that so many guests on it. Uh, Tamar Braxton, Shaquille O'Neal, it's a great show. We're about to do, start doing season two. So, But yeah, that actually was in Long Island too.
0: Man, you have too many damn projects. It's hard to keep up. And the, the last thing I got for you related to all that is having all these projects. Are you one of these people who's living the dream or are you going man i could be doing three times more what i'm doing and you ain't seen nothing yet
2: um i will say this i think you hit it it right on the head with the second part uh you haven't seen anything yet. i'm just now really um coming into what it's about to become and when i tell you what it's about to become like this fallback comedy jam is three cities and i don't even know what people about to do but it's been so successful in uh long island that um (laughs) we're gonna do Something that I've done only once, uh, well, twice in my career, where I've done, and I hold a post star record for selling out two arenas, two totally different arenas in one night. So I did that at Capital One Arena in D.C. I did the Show Palace Arena, and then I took a police escort, and we went all the way over there, and we did the Capital One Arena, and I still have that plaque of doing two arenas. I mean, people do arena day by day, but no one does two, in uh, in one night. So. Uh, the the uh, cat's out the bag. You're going to see me do two arenas with this show in one night. We're going to do Long Island and then we're going to go to the Barclay Center and we're going to do them back to back the same night.
0: The closest thing I can think of that is Live Aid 85 when Phil Collins took the plane from London to then do the Philadelphia show. But then again, his performance was so bad at the second one that maybe he wishes he didn't do it, so.
2: Oh no, when we do the two shows, it's even hyper because as as an artist, I'm pretty sure you know that, that first one, you have been ah, now I'm gonna really kill him. And you you stretch out, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be great for both audiences. And you're the first person to know that what we're doing because we haven't even announced the second show yet. But that is definitely a goal of mine. For me not to have that record, And my home city is like, you know, I'm not from here, but, you know, I consider this my home now because I've been here for so long. But yeah, and I have that record here and I got it in Chicago. I'm definitely going to do it here now. So that's what I'm going to do on September 18th on a Sunday.
0: Well, Rep, thank you for your time. But more importantly, thank you for the many years of great comedy, giving others the stage to do that great comedy and really looking forward to everything that's to come for me in the near future.
2: Well, thank you so much, man. To me, that's what it's about when you get to a certain level. With everything that I do and every project that I create, it's all about opening doors and bringing more people with you. Uh, urban Eats and Treats was for me to go around showing that we had great stuff to eat in urban neighborhoods and then showing that people like Cardi B go, still go eat here and showing the restaurants were shining when they weren't doing so well in COVID. And then we, I just kept, kept that same thing going. And all my projects you see that I got coming up from the TV shows to the tours to everything. It's all that same format.
0: Outrocast.